You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. Chemistry for me started by being very sensory. It was the, the color and the density and the texture and the smell and the feel of things and the way they transformed their frothings, their stinks, their bangs and everything. Neurologist and science writer Oliver Sacks. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. A young British boy's fascination with science, and with metals and chemistry in particular, led him to become one of the world's foremost neurologists and the author of a number of best-selling books. His name was Oliver Sacks, and he was the author of books such as The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, The Island of the Colorblind, and perhaps the book that he's best known for, 1973's Awakenings. And that was the book that became that major motion picture in 1990, starring Robert De Niro and Robin Williams. In 2001, his book, Uncle Tungsten, revealed how, as a youngster in Britain, he first became interested in science, in chemistry, and how things work, the periodic table. <laughs> More about that in just a moment. So here now, from 2001, Oliver Sacks. Well, it's quite different from, from any I did before. Uh, all my other books, in a way, have been reports about mm-hmm. patients. Um, and uh, here I'm looking back. Um, I think probably some autobiographic impulse has been in me for a long while. And perhaps it grows stronger as one grows older and you want to sort of connect with the far distant past, look at your origins. Um, the, it got precipitated about four years ago when a friend of mine, a chemist, sent me a parcel containing, amongst other things, a little bar of a very heavy metal which fell with a clonk. And this I immediately recognized as tungsten because I'd had an uncle who used to manufacture incandescent bulbs and had a firm called Tungstalite and whom we called Uncle Tungsten. And he used to give me little bars like this and this sort of acted as a sort of Proustian mnemonic. And I suddenly saw my uncle with his with his wing collar and his his hands blackened with tungsten as as i remember him 55 years ago in his factory there's no sound quite like sintered tungsten Oh, well, he's quite right, there isn't. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry, I should have bought the bar so, so we could demonstrate it. But you have, you write so... I mean, you had me drawn in from the first two pages of this book. I, I could not have, have put it down had I tried, because you just draw us in so effortlessly, and we are fascinated, as you are, as you take us through all your discoveries. It, it, was, it was fun and um, strange, sort of resurrecting the past, and and um, difficult in a way because of the mixture of the personal and the and the scientific. But I I, I hope they're they're interwoven somehow. What an eager young sponge you were back in those days. I was full of curiosity, but kids are, and I think I was lucky to have people who encouraged my curiosity while preventing it being fatal, <laughs> which it can be when you have a quite an elaborate chemistry lab of your own. But how fortunate you were that you grew up in a family of people not only willing to take time to listen to your questions and try to answer them, but be very able to answer them. Uh, yes, I, I think I, I was lucky. Uh, and there were a lot of family, too, because my mother was, the, was one of 18. And so there were any number of uncles, and um, although two of them 
two of them are especially important. But you had, uh, you said, almost a hundred cousins. Something like that, yes. Scattered the, th- throughout the globe, many of whom uh, uh, making great accomplishments of their own just about the time you were getting out of diapers. Um, yeah, well, there was a 50-year spread <laughs> in, that, in, in our generation. Now, why do you suppose it was metals that so attracted your attention from an early age? Um, well, the short answer is, is I don't know. But the, um, I, think there was the, I think they caught my eye, they gleamed, they shone, um, they were cool to the touch, and they were hard and heavy, and, and they, they just seemed unlike anything else, and, and somehow they stood out from the rest of the world. And um, I mean, now, of course, houses are full of plastic, but then, then the house seemed to be full of, of lead and tin, and there was a big iron roller in the garden, and and um, all sorts of things. I was fascinated by by my mother's gold wedding ring, which was so heavy and dense, and she told me it never tarnished. It's a noble metal. And and then later, when I met my uncle Tungsten, he told me that tungsten was a noble metal in the same sort of way. And I think the idea of metals um, resisting the ravages of time and not changing and count on them Except iron. Now suddenly, oh. the iron, the flakes of rust oh, coming off. Oh, of indeed. Yeah. No, I was very disconcerted when I saw the big <laughs> lawn roller rusting. But but tungsten doesn't rust. But we also know that it takes a long time for iron to rust. It can take many, many, many years for things to rust away. But you take a little piece of aluminum and draw some mercury across it, and suddenly, in a matter of seconds, yeah, just the way you describe this, I couldn't believe my what I was reading. Yeah, no, well, um, aluminium is not usually like this, but but mercury will will take the surface oxide off, and then suddenly you get this sort of fungal growth, these excrescences, which which uh, which look rather terrifying. It is incidentally highly, highly illegal and rather dangerous, apparently, to to spill mercury on airplanes because the the whole of the whole plane could can disappear. <laughs> well, it just it occurred to me so many of the things you're talking about in this book that that you and Uncle Tungsten and and your your family did. Today, we would be horrified at the the environmental impact of such such things. Having mercury just floating around the house, would, would your house would be we quarantined, and there would be EPA crews come and try to clean up. Uh, to say nothing of the radioactivity, because <laughs> another uncle of mine used to manufacture um, uh, watches and things with luminous paints, and the old days luminous paints were full of radium, and um, although that was stopped around 1930, but we had a lot of these watches around. But we, we survived. <laughs> 92 elements on the table when you, were, when you were a child. What are we up to, 118-something elements now? Or? Um, yeah. Somewhere, um, somewhere thereabouts? Right. Um, the, um, I'd, um, I'm feeling in my pocket now because, of course, <laughs> I, I always carry a periodic <laughs> table around. <laughs> right. um, yeah. Um, but, yeah, they, they went up to number 92, which was uranium, although that tantalized me because I felt, why should they stop at uranium? And may there be ones beyond. And it sort of was a great excitement when, when plutonium and all the others started to, to be created, because probably they don't exist in nature. Which is something that, that I still find counterintuitive. I don't know how you could create 
an element. I mean, an element is an element, isn't it? I mean, you can't create an element. By its definition, an element just is, isn't it? Well, it, uh, they, they all had to be created in the first place. <laughs> um, you know, how, are you, how are you going to get hydrogen and, and any of the others? That's, yeah, that's true. Um, just... but, but, but certainly, I mean, obviously, you know, um, for chemical purposes, they can't be created and they can't be destroyed. And you, you have to sort of tear an atom apart or, or collide atoms to, to do transmutation. After this short break, what keeps Oliver Sacks up at night? Now back to my 2001 conversation with Oliver Sacks. Does it in any way dismay you that now we can do all that? As you said near the end of the book, we can make just about any kind of metal now with just about any kind of property we want at will. I, I find it wonderful and slight, slightly frightening. <laughs> we, we have so much power. The, again, I learned so much from reading your book. And here we're talking hands-on experiments. We're talking handling chunks of raw metal in, in, its, yeah. in its ore state. I should have brought some with me. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, um, in fact, I'm surrounded by chunks of ore and chunks of metal. I, um, when I was writing the book, I, in a way, I needed to relive things, and my, my office has become filled with, with very, very dense lumps of one sort or another, <laughs> and Wimshurst machines and batteries and crystals growing and, 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 and fluorescent materials. Um, but yeah, chemistry for me started by being very sensory. It was it was the the color and the density and the texture and the smell and the feel of things and and the and the way they transformed their frothings, their their stinks, their bangs, and everything. I um I mean later I became very interested in the uh, in the intellectual aspects and how. All the elements are related to one another, but it started just as um, uh, as the wonder of of different stuffs. I think maybe I was more sensitive to stuff than to form. Well, yesterday's magic is today's science is tomorrow's household item. Just uh, we the things we take for granted today were scientific discoveries of fifty years ago, were black magic of two hundred years ago. Yeah. Plastics would have been incomprehensible a, mm-hmm. a century ago. Yeah, I remember my first chemistry set, uh-huh. and just like you, I remember thinking, you know, uh, I, I followed the directions very carefully, mixing two clear liquids, and it turns this wonderful blue. And I thought, how did it do that? I mean, if I had been doing this, performing this before a tribal clan, you know, on some isolated island, they'd think I was a god. That I could do this. Yeah, well, I I, um, uh, I suspect a lot of uh, a lot of chemical magic <laughs> probably done done by priests and so forth. But um, I mean, I must have seen almost magical from the start. I, I've um, and my uncle used to invent. Uh, well, he had a sort of fantasy of how copper might have been smelted for the first time, how sort of cavemen might have had uh, some green mineral, some malachite or whatever, and then as the as the wood burned, the charcoal would have reduced this, and suddenly you would have had a glowing red liquid. And um, But, of course, chemistry is so ancient. I, I mean, the history of glass-making sort of goes back thousands of years. But for a young mind to know that as this knowledge is being poured into your mind... Now you have the power. You have the ability to do something that 
other people can't. That, that you have something you have special knowledge. What a, I mean, again, you, the, your book empowered me anew. I mean, all those things that I'd forgotten about from my own boyhood. And I, I, I hope it will sort of stimulate some, some, <laughs> some boys and girls of coming generations. Although whether they could lay hands on things or whether one can have a, uh, a chemistry lab. Uh, a chemistry set let a, uh, of any interest, let alone a lab, I, I don't know. Um, actually, tomorrow I'm going to go to a, a school lab in Washington, and we'll, we'll see what it has. I, I was going to say, I mean, I, I, again, I remember my first chemistry set, but I, I've looked for one similar to it on store shelves more, in more recent years. I can't find anything like it. Yeah. it it's, it's, it's as though they don't want to trust us with things that might cause us a little bit of discomfort. Uh, and yet, unless they do, then, then one can never develop the, the requisite vigilance and responsibility. Now, no, I certainly had enough to sort of uh, you know, um, destroy a large area of northwest London, but, but I didn't. <laughs> now, as you describe in the book, as, as you got a little bit older, you discovered it wasn't like it dropped off the edge of the earth one day you lost interest, but it was a gradual... Your, your interest changed. Your interest evolved away from, from what had so fascinated you earlier. Well, I, uh, uh, I sort of, I was deeply fascinated by seeing the periodic table, the way in which all the elements were related to one another, although the periodic table itself was a mystery. Why were they related? And historically it was. It, it wasn't solved for 50 years, till 50 years later when people took atoms apart. Um, but, uh, but as chemistry became more theoretical, Historically, and perhaps for me, I may have lost some of that sort of hands-on delight. And um, but I don't exactly know know what happened. There may also be something about uh, about that period from ten to fourteen, when um, when there's there's innocence and, uh, uh, and 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 a wonderful sort of enthusiasm and curiosity, and and adolescence hasn't broken in to sort of widen the world or disturb it. <laughs> well, some boys collect stamps, some boys collect baseball cards, some boys collect pieces of metal. Uh, yeah, I pieces of metal, although I also collected bus tickets <laughs> um, of a special sort, because these were bus tickets at that time. They were little oblongs of cardboard inscribed with one or two letters and two or three numbers so that you could have U235 or something like this. And so, so I, I had all the elements and their atomic weights or numbers represented on bus tickets, so a unique collection. Uh, of no of no value except as, as pe- well I don't know I'm sorry I'm sorry it's sort of somehow perished in the <laughs> abyss of time <laughs> and now as you say at the close of the book you see license plates and they remind you of the periodic table oh yeah yes I, I, I've, I've seen a lot of them here um, in, in Washington I mean on the way here what did I see I saw aluminium I saw praseodymium I saw zirconium yeah, I, I saw quite a lot of them. <laughs> and beryllium. Beryllium, yes. And with the advances in science today, I mean, it must fascinate you. I, again, uh, uh, even by the time I reached the book, the end of the book, which I didn't want to reach, I wanted the book to keep going. No, no, I, I, no I, didn't want to, I didn't want to reach the end either. Yeah, it, it was just, it was, I, I can't wait to read more, so I hope there's another volume coming. But when you talk about the discoveries that we might have, entire planets made out of diamond... That must bring everything that that childhood enthusiasm right back again. Uh, yes, I, I think it never went went away entirely, and I, I sort of love love uh, at least reading popular science and, and what I can understand, and it's uh, sort of a, a great a great companion. 
as well. I um, uh, Although I mustn't read chemistry books late at night. They're too stimulating. I have to read mur <laughs> murder mysteries or something instead. Something to put you to sleep. <laughs> yes, right. Oliver Sacks died in 2015. He was 82. Now, you can find all of the past episodes of Now I've Heard Everything at our website, heardeverything.com. In fact, at heardeverything.com is where you'll find my 2002 interview with one of the men credited with discovering the double helix, James Watson. I didn't want to just be known for the double helix. You know, so before I made the discovery, no one thought I was going anywhere. And afterwards, I certainly know went nowhere. And my 1994 conversation with the great Carl Sagan. The long-term future of the human species requires us to be in space, not for impractical reasons, but for the most practical reasons imaginable to safeguard the future of our species. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, a special treat for my fellow baby boomers who may recall the 1950s, 60s sitcom, Dobie Gillis. What was it called? The Many Lives and then The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis, something like that. We'll revisit my 1994 interview with the star of that show, Dwayne Hickman. To me, Dobie Gillis was just a job. It was like the Bob Cummings show. I just took the Bob Cummings show because I was, you know, looking for a summer job and I didn't want to go to work for the Department of Water and Power. Hey, no, I, I had no idea. When I was doing Dobie, it was just a series, a job. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.